the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Nine minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway on this Tuesday, the 14th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Thanks again to Monica Haven's con- concerned parent in Hudson. And I know there are a lot of other concerned parents in Hudson. And quite frankly, you ought to be concerned all around Northeast Ohio if your kids are in public schools, because this kind of stuff is common. All right, before I bring Kersenau on, let's trigger him a little bit. Yeah, go on, but here's the deal. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. You either keep Gavin Newsom as your governor, or you'll get Donald Trump. It's not a joke. Republican governor blocking progress on COVID-19 who is also anti-woman, anti-worker, a climate denier, who doesn't believe in choice. The choice should be absolutely clear. Gavin Newsom, you have a governor who has the courage. A governor who is literally driving his state into the ground on every measurable way, or in every measurable way, and Joe Biden says, Re-elect him, or keep him, actually, as governor, or you get Donald Trump. Uh, what do you think of that, Peter Kersenow? Yeah, well, you know, Gavin Newsom is doing to California what Joe Biden is doing to the United States of America. <laughs> uh, this is really pathetic. Well said. I mean, two peats in the pod. They really yeah, are. they really are. Peter Kersenow is with us for his regular Tuesday visit. Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the longest-serving commissioner in the history of the Civil Rights Commission. He's also a Cleveland attorney, a best-selling author. New books are in the works, by the way, and a columnist as well as the host of the Kersenow Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. I just figured I'd trigger you a little bit with that. Uh, Larry Elder Larry Elder has a chance today. I, I don't know, based on the polling, if it's a great chance uh, because California is the bluest of the blue. I mean, you know, California, New York, New York, the East Coast, the West Coast, this is just the way that it is. Um, but he has run a tremendous recall campaign and opened up a lot of eyes, which is why, of course, they've taken to calling him the same thing they call you, uh, a black white supremacist, <laughs> a black, uh, a black member of the, uh, neo Nazis, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, it would be a, it would be a story for the ages if Larry Elder could actually do some good in the state of California. California. Yeah, it would. It would be really inspiring. And Larry's run a great campaign. Uh, as you indicated, he has an uphill battle. I mean, this is a recall election. There's a lot of complexity to it, ambiguities that can confuse voters. But on top of that, because of the way the whole thing is structured, and I don't know the exact rules. I remember I had an exchange with Larry about this on uh, an, an email exchange. 
But uh, Newsom can spend an unlimited amount of the money because of the way the law is structured with respect to recall campaigns, where his challenger cannot. He's, he's limited. So that's one big factor when you're talking about a state that big. It's the most populous state in the union, of course, and money means a lot. You've got to get your message out there and motivate voters. Um, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Let's see what happens here. Uh, you know, uh, Larry's a friend of ours, both you and I, Bob. I go back with Larry 40 years. Uh, he, he and I uh, had good old times trying to uh, talk about triggering. We triggered people back when Larry had his old WVIZ program, and I would appear <laughs> as a guest, and they had a radio program. So we had good times. Yeah, I know. I, I know you guys have a lot of history there. Mine is much more recent than that, but uh, I think our respect for the man is uh, is mutual and uh, and is equal. All right, Peter Kirsten you said on Sunday night, kind of a little bit more of what you said. Sunday night we had an event uh, as we all said goodbye to two fantastic people in Northeast Ohio who have done so much for the conservative cause and for the cause of their communities, Mike and Bev Gold- Goldstein, who are moving out to Arizona, where they will continue to be active. But you said uh, during that um, event uh, at, your, at your speaking of, uh, engagement, uh, the same thing you said on my program last week, and that is that the Afghanistan withdrawal is the worst foreign policy disaster in in american history i may be misquoting you there or paraphrasing you there and i'll let you clarify that yesterday tony blinken the secretary of state who oversaw this entire affair along with lloyd austin and with uh, uh, mark milley and and of course joe biden himself but tony blinken perhaps the most inept and weak secretary of state that i can recall since i've been following politics um proceeded to blame the entire thing on the Trump administration, declaring that we inherited a deadline, but not a plan, that the Trump administration had no plan, and that's why this was such a disaster, uh, the level of which you just described. Um, how do you respond to Blinken? Uh, is anybody in your audience surprised that they would pull out the Trump card? They have no explanation. They've got no excuses. They've got nothing whatsoever, so they pull out the Trump card. They always blame everything on Trump. Because they know there's a certain segment of their base who, if they say the word Trump, everything after that is uh, forgotten or ignored and doesn't have to make any sense. It doesn't work in this case. You've seen the polling data, for example, and it is atrocious. It's like 74% of Americans, 74% of Americans believe conditions in this country are bad or very bad. That's the highest in polling history. And it's only taken Biden eight months, close to nine months to do that. That's extraordinary. People, despite the fact that much of the major media is trying to soft pedal this debacle and soft pedal all the debacles, it is seeping in, as are all the other failures of the Biden administration. If you think about all the things that are going on, ever since January uh, of uh, this year, Immigration, legal immigration has gotten worse. Crime has gotten worse. Inflation has gotten worse. Our foreign policy has been a gigantic disaster with the greatest humiliation and disgrace in American history. It's everything you look at that hits Americans where they live is demonstrably worse and they get it. And they see that there's a direct correlation between Biden policies and these things getting worse. So pulling out the Trump card is not going to be as effective as it may have been, say, a year ago or even nine months ago. But the bottom line is this is a complete fraud. The Biden administration is the one that decided to pull out without any kind of a plan to do so, 
responsibly. They're the ones who had an artificial deadline. Remember, they set the deadline of September 11th, and then because they wanted a photo op, and then when some people in the administration said, well, maybe that doesn't really work that well because it looks weird, Biden said arbitrarily, arbitrarily, August 31st, and then they left on August 30th. So this was all arbitrary. It was all capricious. It was all Biden and his team that did this. You can't blame any of this on Trump. And, you know, you've probably seen a number of Trump uh, cabinet officials come out and, and say precisely what the Trump policy was or what the plan was. Right. It had nothing to do with what, what Biden is doing. As, as you've heard, they always talk about conditions-based. The Trump people do. And it is. It was based on certain conditions being met. They weren't going to pull out if those conditions weren't being met. Biden pulled out regardless of conditions. He he pulled out despite the fact that there are hundreds. Let me back up for a second. One of the things, before I forget, one of the things that Blinken said when it was asked was, you know, how many people, how many Americans are still behind enemy lines? And he said, we estimate about 100. Well, that's really peculiar. Because it seems to be a static number no matter what. They were just heralding the fact that they think they got about 100 Americans out since they left on August 30th. And then since then, there have been others that have trickled out. So how does it remain static at 100? It doesn't make any sense. But then he had to also admit that there were thousands of green card holders and SIV people uh, who have been left behind. And they're hoping that the great and merciful Taliban will act responsibly in letting these people go, but to, but so far, they haven't. They haven't allowed flights to leave. The orderly and business-like, the order, orderly and business-like Taliban, too, as Jen Psaki Right, professional and business-like. Professional, professional and business-like. This is, this is, I, I can't think of, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I'm not sure what the appropriate adjective for it, but it is, well, it let, is me, let me uh, fill the gap here for you, Pete. Let me fill the gap here, and I'll say this then while you look for new words. Um, you know, it's so funny that he and they uh, said that, you know, Trump made this deal with the Taliban, and so we were stuck with it. You know, Trump also pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accords, but Joe Biden said he wasn't stuck with it. He went yep. and put us right back in. Uh, Trump also negotiated the Remain in Mexico policy for migrants coming up from third countries. And if they apply for for asylum here, they have to remain in Mexico. Joe Biden didn't feel committed to that. He, in other words, he undid virtually everything right. that Donald Trump did in the first place. And yet, when it comes to the Taliban agreement, suddenly it's we had no choice. We were stuck with 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 uh, with Trump's deal that he made with the Taliban, and then we extended it. And of course, all of this was conditioned upon uh, the uh, the. Uh, 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 U.S. forces being gone before we could, uh, you know, evacuate everybody. And, and, you know, why do you have to listen to the deal that Trump made in this one, but none of the other ones? Yeah, that's a very good point, Bob, because Biden and his minions couldn't reverse or rescind Trump policies fast enough. Uh, you know, remember, on Inauguration Day, at about five minutes after he took office, he started signing executive orders reversing Trump policies, ones That's that right. were working, like you say, remain in Mexico, ones that were working. Heck, I know that I was on the 1776 Commission, and within 15 minutes of him taking office, the executive, uh, the 1776 Commission was no more. He was reversing everything, and he did it in one fell swoop, the Keystone Pipeline, you name it, a whole host of things, and almost every one of those has had a demonstrably adverse effect on America and Americans, people losing jobs, people losing lives, extraordinary. But the most titanic mistake, the one policy that uh, Biden claims he's kept intact, and he didn't, he didn't keep the policy intact, 
because Trump, this was not Trump's policy to just leave precipitously, peremptorily, without you know doing any kind of conditions whatsoever, leaving Bagram first, doing it in such a ham-handed, stupid way. No way. Okay, tr- uh, they know they've got nothing to work with, so they have to blame Trump. And maybe there's a few thousand people who are so rabid anti-Trump people that they will believe it. The rest of them simply well, unfortunately, acknowledge the fact. Uh- Unfortunately, among those thousands, uh, rabid uh, thousands who may believe it, are all of the Democrat senators who questioned him during that testimony yesterday. I don't believe that, Bob. I don't. I don't think they believe that either. They're simply providing political cover to themselves and to the Biden administration. Okay, okay, no fair enough. But they're giving, voice to those, they're giving voice to those thousands that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, and, and, and that's very unfortunate, because if there's one thing that I think we ought to agree upon in this era of hyper-partisanship and, and extraordinary division ideologically, I would hope Republicans and Democrats could at least come together when it comes to the death of 13 service members because of the botched withdrawal and the embarrassing uh, fact that there are hundreds of Americans who have been left behind enemy lines. That is unacceptable, and I'll tell you what. Richard Blumenthal, of all people, and I've got no respect for Richard Blumenthal, really much more than any other Democrat in the United States Senate, but he was forceful and loud and critical of the way this entire thing was handled by Lloyd Austin, by Milley, and by the Commander-in-Chief, Joe Biden, and said, we absolutely cannot leave these people behind. He said that, Peter, over two weeks ago, and still, as you point out, Blinken is acknowledging at least 100 Americans are still left behind, and we know that number is certainly much higher. I would hope that everybody could follow Blumenthal's lead there and say, we, none of us, Republican or Democrat, can accept what just happened here. All right, uh, let's take it. You had a thought you want to finish there with Pete? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead I heard Bob. you take the breath. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hold that Hold that thought and hold that breath. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back, and if you want to get another comment on that, you can. But I want to start uh, tapping into your legal expertise. I don't know what you bill per hour, but send the bill to Salem Media because we're going to ask you for your legal expertise as it pertains to vac- uh, uh, to uh, mandatory vaccination orders for employees at businesses, uh, private businesses across this country. So we'll talk to you about that next on AM 1420 The Okay, 1025, we continue now with personnel. Pete, did you want to get one more thought in on uh, uh, Blinken and the Afghan withdrawal? Well, there's so much to say, but uh, first of all, you, with respect to uh, Blumenthal, uh, good for him. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him, but, you know, you know that the blowback he must be getting from his constituents is pretty substantial for a Democrat to break ranks like he did. And I suspect you're going to see a little bit more of that because, If you look around America, I mean, you look at the polling data, um, clearly Republicans overwhelmingly, independents overwhelmingly, but a significant number of Democrats, it's in the 40s, are really upset about what happened with the Afghanistan withdrawal. So they're getting a lot of blowback from their constituents. I think it's going to get worse. The Biden polling data is just in the cellar. You know, you see various uh, uh, videos now that are proliferating all over the Internet about these, you know, college games, even high school games, pro games, 
where there are these, uh, you know, kind of scatological chants about Joe Biden. Clearly, uh, he is not a popular person right now, and I think Blumenthal's reaction reflects that. The other thing about Blinken is, and he says, we, um, we inherited a deadline but not a plan. Well, it's it's amazing to me that he couldn't come up with something better than that, that type of temporizing. He had all this time to prepare for a hearing. He says, we didn't, uh, 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 we inherited a deadline. Well, on its face, that's false, because they changed the deadline several times, you know. The deadline was originally May 1, I think it was, or that's May right. 31st. Yep. I don't remember which. It, it may have been May 1, then shifted to May 31st. So they changed it several times. I mean, you hear the deadline like, like it's etched in stone. False. And then we didn't, but we didn't inherit a plan. Well, you know what? Every other plan of, of Trump's, as we discussed in the previous segment, they changed or eliminated radically. But if they didn't have a plan, they had at least eight months before their artificial deadline to come up with one. Why not come up with one? Or why not extend the deadline? This doesn't pass the smell test. I'm really hopeful that under questioning today, people will dig into these inconsistencies even more. And I know they were asking for his resignation a number of times. The poor guy should not have been appointed in the first place because he's a a disaster. He's clearly not up for the job. But that is really reflective of the entire Biden crew. They're, They're truly awful. Well, you know, and, and to me, the, the, the biggest underscore of this whole thing is just looking at Saturday. We had our, you know, 20th anniversary of 9-11, the recollection of the lives lost, the pain, the anguish, the suffering, all at the hands, literally, of the Taliban, which sponsored al-Qaeda, both through funding, through training, uh, and, and through uh, safe haven in Afghanistan. Uh, that Taliban is back in charge 20 years later. On the day of the anniversary of the attacks, they celebrated from the exact same position of power they yeah. were in 20 years ago. Yep. Uh, and to me, Peter, that is just, um, that's unacceptable. It was avoidable. Uh, and I, I just think our entire foreign policy in that regard has been wrong. We are, we are not a safer country 20 years later, uh, you know, 20 years after 9-11. We are not a safer co- country. We are either at the same risk or perhaps even worse. That, that's You've nailed it right there, Bob. We're in worse shape now than we were, and a number of you know security specialists have said just that. We don't have any kind of contacts in the region anymore. We're, we have no boots on the ground. We have no eyes yeah. anywhere around that can that's tell right. us what's going on. Yeah. This is a... I don't think that we can calculate this debacle realistically for a number of years, and let's pray during those years that we are not struck again, because Al-Qaeda and all other terrorist groups now have a safe haven to do what they want to do. And they're energized, because they've beaten the great Satan who went, you know, limping back home. We didn't, our troops didn't. But Joe Biden, as representative of the United States of America, left with his tail between his legs in the most disgraceful withdrawal I've ever seen, well, not just I've ever seen, but in the history of the United States. And leaving yet, Americans behind, inexcusable. And yet, uh, the Biden administration is more concerned with what they call domestic terrorists than they are. Uh, with Incredible. That, uh, and unfortunately, we had a former president who kind of gave them a little bit of a sustenance in that regard. You know, Pete, I haven't brought this up on the air um, since it just happened, obviously, on Saturday. I'm not certain that that's the case. I, I listened to that George W. Bush speech, and I listened to the quote in question, and I think people can hear what they want to hear in that. 
Um, and I think a lot of, of ardent Trump supporters, of which I know you are and I am, and we know about the battle between the Bush family and the Trump and, and President Trump, of course, after uh, you know what, what Donald Trump did to savage Jeb Bush in 2016. And you can hear what you want to hear there, Pete, but I am not convinced he was talking specifically about uh, the January 6th situation. He, I've got to get to news now. I, t- I, I want to get to vaccines and the, the, man, the mandate by Biden and get your legal expertise on that, Pete. But I'm going to start the next segment with this Bush question for you. I'll play it so everybody can hear it themselves, and then I'll ask okay. you a reaction to that. Let's do it that way because I'm not convinced people are portraying this entirely fairly. And, uh, and we'll follow up with that after this. social justice warriors if you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended this isn't it this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer okay 1036 now we continue with peter kirsten now on am 1420 the answer peter i don't want to spend a ton of time on this because i want to get to the vaccine mandates and your legal uh, analysis of that um, but you brought it up, and I was going to bring it up anyway. I just kind of forgot to um, with the audience. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the Pentagon chief, Biden's Pentagon chief, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, declared that the biggest threat in the United States uh, when it comes to terrorism is domestic terrorists, um, speaking specifically of uh, neo-Nazi or perceived right-wing extremists. And then, as you pointed out, a lot of people, Felt that George W. Bush gave some, uh, some, some breath to that, uh, during his speech at, in Shanksville at the 9-11 memorial, uh, and anniversary on Saturday. So I, I know what people have said about this. I don't think I agree. I'm going to let everybody hear it now, Pete, and then you and I can discuss. Okay. It's only 30 seconds, 34 seconds. We have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. So the reporting on that was Bush compares Trumper, Trumpsters, MAGA hat wearers, and those who attacked the Capitol, uh, as they call it, attacking the Capitol on January 6th to the 9-11 Al-Qaeda terrorists. That's the story. The left went crazy. Hey, look at, listen to George, the man that they revile. Uh, you know, he said something that they perceived to be that way, and so they agreed with it. And of course, people on the conservative side, how dare he say such a thing? I didn't hear that at all, Peter. What I heard him say was, is, is that terrorists, uh, from across borders are no better or worse than terrorists from within i would agree terrorists are terrorists he said that uh in fact let me play this middle portion there is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home i agree with that too little cultural overlap there whether you're doing it because of islamism and jihad or whether you're doing it for other reasons here at home it is also evil and and there's there is you know overlap but then there's disdainful pluralism in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, 
they are children of the same foul spirit. And that's the line there. The disdain for human life and uh, the determination to defile national symbols. Peter, we have spent the last 20 months or so watching the left defile national symbols, tearing down statues, attacking the Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial, um, trying to tear the names off of, of schools. Um, there are natural national symbols here that have been under attack and the loss of life. The disdain for, for human life, I, I didn't hear him say at the Capitol, I have seen more human life lost at Antifa and left-wing violent protests and rallies than anything we saw on January 6th. He wasn't specific. I think he was saying no matter where it comes from, right or left, domestic violence and disdain for life and attacking our symbols should be confronted. I, I didn't take this as egregiously as many did. Go ahead. Bob, I think you make a very good and fair point. I look at it from this standpoint. Um, this is a former president of the United States who has speechwriters. Speechwriters are trained to have not a tin ear. They have a, a, an acutely trained ear to the zeitgeist, to knowing what's going on and what the prevailing discourse is. What's currently going on? What are people saying currently? And after the speechwriters write the speech, the president looks it over, and he's, he became president of the United States twice, so he's a savvy person and understands the atmospherics prevailing in the country right now. And what he said hit many people as if he was talking about, among other things, January 6th, because what we hear from the media from A to Z is January 6th. What we hear in Congress is January 6th, and we hear about violent extremism. And as you mentioned, Lloyd Austin talking about the greatest threat to America, or one, one great threat to America, is you know white supremacy and, and white rage and violent extremism. In the context of the prevailing public discourse, that was a reckless statement, or at least a negligent statement to make. It had a tin ear to it that, that doesn't sit well with a former president of the United States. I think George Bush is a good-hearted man. I really do. And I don't think that he, he wants to blame Americans unnecessarily. What I blame him for is the way he gave sustenance to the left, because as you said, they seized it immediately, and he should have known. He really should have known, and it was irresponsible for him not to cabin his statements properly, because he he knows, as a man who's been called, uh, well, I, you know all the names they always called. I can't even repeat them. Of course, yeah. on the, no, on the no, I'm well aware. He knows the way the left operates and what they, the the, the bag of tricks they can consistently go to he should have been much more careful and i blame him for that i do you cannot i'm going to tell you especially on 9 11 and i'll tell you why i don't high profile i'll tell you why i don't because you and i have condemned the rioters at the capitol building you and i have said anybody that smashed a window broke something went in there stole something etc should be charged but now they should be charged accordingly and fairly with trespassing or or vandalism or whatever they shouldn't be held as political prisoners for the last eight or ten months obviously but we you and i have condemned that as being an inappropriate action and, and I think anybody who's reasonable will say you can't do that, no matter how angry you are. That doesn't mean it was a coordinated, you know, attempt at, uh, you know, over, overthrowing the government the way the left wants it to believe, but it was condemnable because it was contemptible, quite frankly. 
If George Bush had just gone on there and said domestic extremism on the left, attacking our statues, attacking, you know, sp- you know, uh, killing people at random and, and willingly, uh, you know, uh, in, in the protests that we have seen over the last 20 months, he would have been accused of greenlighting what happened on January 6th. And ignore at the very least ignoring it and not holding them accountable as well. But by phrasing it the way he did or his speechwriters did, they said domestic terrorism can be just as bad and should be confronted as well as, uh, you know, foreign terrorism or, or cross borders terrorism and attacking our national symbols includes everybody there. I think it was very, uh, strategic and I think it was very careful to say, no matter who is doing that, we must condemn it. And I happen to agree with that. I condemn everything the left has done with respect to the protests and the, uh, the race wars and everything else. And I condemn those who attack the capital it was not an insurrection but it was a crime and it should be it should be treated as such yeah you make a persuasive argument and we both agreed that january 6th was was something you know we we condemned it mm-hmm. the difference is when we condemned it we didn't then relate it or tie it to 9-11 or the kind of extremism that we saw from you know the the uh, radical elements in the middle east that's the problem. The so in other words, he should have left all of that out of the speech then. Regard- no, I think he should have been a lot more careful case. about it because he's a okay. former president of the United States speaking at Shanksville that. and drawing a, a corollary or correlation between the two. And the, the evidence that it was a mistake is that millions of people heard it the same way that I heard it. And that's not... It, it'd be different if it was just an average... If it was you or me, Bob, a yeah. commentator, someone like that, and we were doing it not on 9-11, not at a memorial of 9-11, where we're thinking about the, the deaths of all these people. And then in the context of the prevailing zeitgeist, when you know every Democratic politician and the media, but I repeat myself, are talking about January 6th and how white supremacy is the worst thing in, in you know, afflicting America today, uh, that was a big mistake and that's something that Bush okay. needs to rectify. And one other thing, Bob, many of us were upset when we kept defending George Bush all through the, his administration, and for good reason. I think he was trying to do the best job he could, and he was getting unfair attacks. But we were defending him, defending him, defending him, especially with respect to you know, some of his decisions on Iraq. And then when he wrote his book and in some subsequent, subsequent um, uh, uh, speeches, he talked about the fact that though they had found WMD in Iraq, not in the quantities that they had expected, but they had found WMDs and downplayed it. They downplayed it. In other words, they pulled the rug out from many of us who were defending him. Now, having said that, I'm not condemning George W. Bush as a man. I'm not condemning him as a president. I, I happen to think that there were better presidents and there were worse presidents. Definitely. And I think he's a good man. But what he did on 9-11 was a... It, whether or not he intended to do so or not, he negligently, if not recklessly, besmirched a lot of people, a lot of good people who constantly get besmirched as deplorables and all kinds of other you know, uh, malignant terms. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I get it. In my view, then, just to kind of bring some sort of uh, agreement to us here, I, he maybe he shouldn't have mentioned domestic extremism at all. Just focus on what caused 9-11 and stay with that, since that was the, the venue and that was the day and that was the, you know, the event at hand. Uh, because, again, I think people can hear what they want to hear, and if you are a Trump supporter who hated Jeb Bush and, and do not like George Bush either, uh, you can hear, hey, he's talking about the Capitol people, but he in no way, shape, or form made that clear. And very 
very yeah, I fact, want to make it clear fact, about point of fact, it was, it was very unclear. You might be right. Those who have all said, oh, my God, he attacked the deplorables, the MAGA uh, people, um, you might be right. But it is in no way absolutely clear that he wasn't referring to everybody who commits domestic violence. Uh, it's, 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 at best, it's unsettled. I think he needs to come out and clarify. I really do. I think it's of that importance. And I think he's a good man. Um, look, I still defend him as president, but and you know I vote for him again if the circumstances were the same. But yeah. the bottom line here is we're in a different time than when he was president, and everyone has to understand how highly charged these issues are right now. And deplorables, we've been suffering under attacks for the last what five years as deplorables, six years constant, and we're maligned and lied about constantly. Yeah, no, I I, I get that. And had he had he referenced deplorables or 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 right wingers or anything else, I would be right there with you. But as a deplorable, I heard him say nobody should be attacking our national symbols, and I say agreed, agreed. I agree, including and especially all of our history, the founding fathers tearing down Jefferson, tearing down Washington, tear, tearing down, right. tearing down. I, I agree. I, I, I agree. And so so therefore, I I'm not going that. to ascribe to him motives that I cannot prove are there. All right. Uh, so let's let's move on now. And I really hate that we did this because <laughs> because Peter, this is tyranny. I played the Soviet national anthem on these airwaves yesterday because I believe it is that serious. I believe that when the federal government, for the first time in history, doesn't recommend, doesn't strongly encourage, doesn't support, doesn't promote, doesn't use propaganda and fear to encourage people to take a, 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 a toxin into their body, but requires it to be done now in order to work in order to engage in commerce, in order to be employed, to, to take care of your family and pay your bills, and to punish private companies, private, not public, punish private companies if they don't make their employees do this. This is the road to tyranny. It's not just the road. We're, we're on the road. We're, 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 we're almost all the way down the path. You can see the Kremlin before us, the American version of the Kremlin. And I do not believe I'm exaggerating or being melodramatic here. That's how dangerous this order from Joe Biden is that we heard on Thursday. And Pete, since that time, there have been lawsuits threatened and lawsuits filed by governors in various states, uh, by, by employers, uh, by organizations like Turning Point USA with Charlie, Charlie Kirk. They've got 200 employees. He said he is filing a lawsuit. So everybody's asking me, Bob, is this legal? Is this constitutional? How's this going to go? And I always say the, the, the guy I know with more experience in labor law and employees' rights than anybody in the world is Peter Kersenow. So, Pete, we, we spent a ton of time on something we probably shouldn't have. We're limited here, but how do you answer that? Well, I'll, I'll answer it in this fashion. Uh, first of all, Bottom line is, nobody knows, but the best argument is it's unconstitutional, in my view. Um, I haven't given thought until you just raised it right now. Um, actually, you texted me a little while ago and said you might raise it, uh, but I haven't had a chance to research or think about it. But here's my, my thought about it, uh, and don't take this as advice. First of all, um, matters such as this are generally reserved to the states. States, as we've discussed before with respect to the vaccine, have broad latitude. They really do. It's a state's issue. It is not something that has been 
given to the federal government unless it's under the Commerce Clause. And vaccines have nothing to do with commerce. It would be so attenuated that the Supreme Court would laugh you out of court. So what they have done instead is they're going under an OSHA standard, and I know this area as well as anybody. They're going under the auspices of the General Duty Clause, which is Section 5, and they want to issue an emergency temporary standard Okay. Last time that was done, Bob, was 40 years ago. 40 years ago. This is something that's rarely done, but that's not the point. The standard is issued if employees are in grave danger, and 40 years ago it had to do with the emergence of the asbestos threat. Okay. But think about it from the standpoint. Even if they were allowed to do this under, and I would, I would, I would argue that they are not allowed to do this under the OSHA standard. But even if they were allowed to do this under the OSHA standard as an emergency, an emergency, why did they wait two years? I mean, nearly two years we've been now, more than a year and a half since we've had this pandemic, and after tens of thousands of COVID deaths, they've waited. It's no longer an emergency. And what they did when they when they announced the standard, I think it was the Labor Secretary Marty Walsh or someone in the cabinet in the administration said, this is a great workaround, quote unquote, workaround. I remember when they said that and I said, boy, is that dense because they've given litigants a, a hook now to say they were doing this to avoid the Administrative Procedure Act rulemaking requirements where you've got to go through notice and comment, you have to have hearings, all these things, or at least notice and comment. Um, and there's a procedure you've got to follow under the Americans, oh, I'm sorry, with, under the Administrative Procedure Act before you can implement a rule like this, okay? Even presuming that you could implement a rule like this. But the bottom line here is that this is not within the enumerated powers granted to the federal government. This is something that's reserved to the states. It has nothing to do with commerce. It doesn't have anything else to do with the enumerated powers. I mean, you can make arguments, but but I think that the Supreme Court would say that uh, this doesn't fall within federal authority. And this little scheme they've got of trying to shove it into the emergency temporary standard just doesn't work. I think um, so. You're not giving medical advice, as you pointed out, but no. your expert legal opinion. <laughs> uh, excuse me, not not medical. I meant to say legal. Beg your pardon. You're not giving legal advice, and I, re- I respect that. But in your expert legal opinion, um, this is not going to stand up in a court of law they, from a constitutional standpoint, because the the federal government does not have standing, if you will, to to impose some such a thing. On the I think some of the lawsuits are, will fail because it depends on which judge you get, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think once it winds its way to the Supreme Court, I think it will be minimum 6-3 against the standard being lawful, being constitutional. Now the question is, is how many businesses are going to be fined and how many employees are going to lose their jobs yeah, while, in the while meantime, it meanders its a way lot. to the Supreme Court? Yes, a lot. And that's what's unforgivable. Because as I've said before, Bob, simply because something is legal, and this I don't believe is, but simply because something is legal doesn't mean it's right. It shouldn't have been done. As you indicated, and if you probably saw Tucker, if your, your audience saw Tucker yesterday, it was very good. He talked about how the slippery slope in this will operate. If we allow something like this to happen, I mean, we're letting a senile, doddering man order us to stick something into our veins that many of us don't want to or don't have to. Right, exactly. He's ordering us to do so. In the United States of America, home of the brave and the free. Then what else can they order? 
because it, it gets, you know, there, there's very little more severe than this. Everything else will pale in comparison. And if we agree to this, then we'll nod along and agree to the next thing. I didn't see Tucker, but I get the point. And by the way, let me trigger you one last time with this. By the way, how did you feel when you heard this? We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. Last time somebody told me that our patience is wearing thin, it was my mother or maybe one of my teachers. But Joe Biden's not my daddy. And to be condescended to in such a way, to be threatened, to be told, you'll do what you're told, my patience is wearing thin. Pete, it triggered me. Um, 2024 can't come soon enough. <laughs> That's a great way to wrap it. Peter Kirsten, thank you, my friend. God bless. We'll talk soon. Take care, Bob. 1055, wrapping it up after this. All right, 1058. Always a short segment for the last segment of the show, but this one's shorter than usual. I don't have time for any calls now. Uh, but I just want to kind of reemphasize a couple of things here. I said this at the top. Listen, I always remind you, well, I try to always remind you, uh, of the um, podcast page, whkradio.com. Go to uh, podcasts, go to shows, local shows, go to podcasts, and go to find any interviews you may have missed or any shows you may have missed. Specifically today, first half hour. Okay? First half hour. Of uh, the broadcast today, if you missed it, if you just turned your radio on at some point in the second hour or whatever, go back and listen to it because there's some extraordinarily important information that you need to share with people that you love about COVID, about hospitalizations, about the fraud that is being perpetrated against us. It's factual. It's real. Uh, and it came from a leftist source, believe it or not. That lets you know that it is not just some sort of a you know right-wing talking point. It's not. It came from a leftist source. You're going to want to listen to that. You're going to want to share that with people. Keep it in your talking points as you discuss these matters of, of the utmost importance uh, with the people that you know. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a lot more for you on that very subject, and I hope you'll uh, join us then. Thank you so much to Peter Kersenow. Thank you so much to uh, um, uh, our guest, uh, Monica Havens in the first half hour, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, stay free. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 